they were doing this thing called the uh, firm of the future that they right. launched yeah. mm -hmm. this award. So they did that every year at cookbooks connect. And that's a and big deal. It's one of the biggest events in San Jose. One and of this the biggest. And this is of the minority of accountants that are coming. Yes. When I say, right, most accountants don't Not even. Not ethnic minority. Yeah. So in our second year of business, we were already a semi-finalist firm of the future. And then in 18, we were the U.S. firm of the future for, for Intuit. So it was a pretty quick growth and rise. And So a caricature, of you, caricature of you then would have a very big head, right? At that point. <laughs> I do have a big head. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I've been to Tory Pines three times in the last year. <laughs> and how many what? times have you been to Pinehurst? A lot. Tory Pines a white people club. Is that what it is? is no, it it's, it's public. No, it's a public. It's a public white people club. There's lots of people like you playing. No, yes. A lot, like, like me, you. really. A oh, lot like we people. Like, what does that mean? Like, what is that? What's your good at golf? Okay, listen to this. First time I was there last year, I played right behind a group of Asians. And I love playing with Asians because they How know the they, rules. And this guy was like... They know the rules. How stereotypical. <laughs> he told me that he eats... I see him pick up a piece of grass and eat it. And I'm like, why are you doing that? And he's like, I eat grass before every round. And he's like, do you eat beef? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, what do you think the beef eat? It's like <laughs> grass. It's like, you eat grass all the time. I'm like... Was this one of the Asian it. guys that said this? Of to course, you? yeah. And of I, course. I, what do you mean? Of course, we don't. Of Asian. course, ah, <laughs> I already exhaled because you Did asked. I get canceled. Asked and I knew. Oh, God. you're canceled us already. We're off the air. We're done before we can even introduce <laughs> who our guest is tonight. The man of Asian intelligence. We yeah. have the AI. the Lee with us. The Lee. Hey guys, thank you for having Lee's me on. Ski. You know, you know why you're Lee Ski, right? Because, because of skiing. You now, during a, a webinar, one of your employees was describing you, and they said he's he's a jet ski, and and I was just like a jet ski. Like, when's the last time we <laughs> talked about a jet ski? So it had to go with Lee Ski. Yeah, but it has nothing to do with him being Asian at all. Wait, why did they say he was like a jet ski? Yeah, why did she say that? I think you were on. I don't remember. It was more of the jet ski part. I love how your staff talks about you. It's a dynamic. It's the kind of thing you've built a team that is dedicated and loyal to your brand in the best possible way. Yeah, I think so. Well, you know, I, I hope so. <laughs> we'll see. Why don't you give us a background? How'd you get an accounting? Okay, let's go. Let's let the I, millennial tell us talk. How you got into let's accounting. Let the elder millennial talk. All right. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad they can't see the video unless you plan to upload the this podcast oh, video it. that you're recording this, right this now. Potentially. I've got a face for audio. There you go. There you right. go. So how did, I get, how did I get into accounting? I was, I think, 12 or 13 years old, and my, my brother-in-law today I was dating my sister. He was in high school with my sister and was doing accounting work at a nonprofit in Arizona. And so... Each summer, I would go into that nonprofit and help them with just data entry stuff. It was a nonprofit that did sports leagues and competitions. So I would enter data into Lotus 123 about the athletes that were competing and, you know, the scheduling, all that stuff. And my brother-in-law was the bookkeeper for that nonprofit. And when he left to go get his master's in accounting three years later, I was 16 at the time, they gave me his accounting job. Because he had trained me on everything. And, and so, how much money did they pay you to do this? Which, I think, you know what is so great about this is yeah. Ackerman doesn't think you know accounting. 
<laughs> he yeah, went into this thinking you that. knew nothing about accounting. Yeah, no. I don't think I ever said that, Michael. Don't listen to that bullshit. <laughs> I've made that up, but I don't know. It might be true. So, yeah, have I think they I think they paid me like fifteen an hour, sixteen an hour, and that's, that's pretty. And what year is this? This is uh, so sixteen it was nineteen ninety five, nineteen ninety six. So that's a lot of money back then. That was For great. Sixteen back years then. old. Oh yeah, that was great. You were, you were uh, like the king of the castle. Oh yeah. It was great, you know, and so six, seven, yeah, and and I was in the special program my last year in high school. I needed to only go to high school half the day because I had, I, I don't know, done something special, I guess. So yeah. they let me out. You at, were born Asian. Yeah, they let me out at noon every day, and I could go to work. And so that's what I did. And my last year in high school, I went to work for the second half of the day and into the, a little bit into the evening. And so that's when I worked full time. I did that for job for three years. That was my first accounting job was at this nonprofit from 16 to 19 years old and, and then went to study accounting at Arizona State. You're doing an internship when you're in high school. Yeah, but I was their accountant, literally. I did all of the bookkeeping, all the financial reporting, and I did the board presentations. And I what? remember, yeah, I remember being like- No one like, went to jail. And no one went to jail. And I, re I remember when they, when the executive director introduced me at the next board meeting, like, oh, this is Michael. It's, this is the former accountant's, you know, brother-in-law. He's taken over. And I, you know, I, I like, I'm right now I'm in my late 30s. He's got and his I look backpack like, on. I, yeah. yeah, exactly. I look like I'm in my 20s. And you, so you can imagine how young Asians I look then. Do not age well. They like are 16 like years old. Age. Yes. Boom, and then your Manchu, Fu Manchu, <laughs> out of nowhere. I don't know, white hair, done. Yes. But you could be about sixty and look sixteen. They right. just don't age well. Right. They I don't age. It. Are you Korean? Evenly. Evenly. No, I'm not Korean. That's Chinese. I am. I'm Chinese, but my parents are from Cambodia. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I, I dated a uh, Cantonese girl for a while. Okay. So I so I can make these Asian jokes. Is what I'm trying to say. Okay. Okay. I dated her for like five no... years. That's like, yeah, we've all been discriminated similar. against, I think. He's got mainland. We don't even have a homeland. We have Israel. Uh, is we it, need to is talk it about that. really ours, though? Okay. <laughs> Isn't that under debate? I've been to, I've been to Israel. I've been to, the, I've been to the promised land. I, I, I feel very blessed that I was able to do that and surprised I was even given that opportunity. But, you know, that was, it was pretty great. You went to Arizona State, and then where did you work after college? During my time at Arizona State, I did bookkeeping after I left that nonprofit. I did bookkeeping on the side to support myself through college. You guys remember Palm Pilots? Oh, Palm, wow. Yes. Like oh, yeah. The yes, first yes, yes. nerdy smartphone. No one had them except for nerds. We know. And it. so in college for two years, I built Palm Pilot software with my high school best friend. We started a company together, built Palm Pilot software. And then after college, I went to work at a public accounting firm called Ide Bailey, but not in audit or tax. I worked in their consulting division. I tried to apply for audit and tax, and the girl that was the hiring manager said, you know, your personality is going to quickly get bored. In, in that was smart work. on their part, yeah. really. You would have but, hated tax yeah. and audit. You would have ended up in there and, and not been where you are now. Yeah, maybe. yeah, and so she just said, hey. You better we have thank her. You better call her up and thank her. Oh, yeah, she was great. And, Let's call her up uh, right now. Let's get her on the yeah. phone. <laughs> so I, Dude, she changed I, your life. She did. She totally did. She said, hey, we have this new consulting. You know, debate. it wasn't her. It was you because you're the one who she let, let her, saw. Let him speak. Yeah, okay. Let the man yeah. speak. 
Uh, is this podcast with Scott Strano? You know, uh, it's Scott Strano's podcast, and he just talks constantly and doesn't let you tell your story. Yeah, so she said, hey, that we just started a consulting division. There's this guy. He, he's not hiring college grads, but he probably will hire you. And he hired me, and I would call him my first CFO mentor. He was a CFO. He would put me in the controller or senior accountant seat. He, I would go in and clean stuff up while he did the CFO work. So we were kind of a tag team duo in the clients. I, uh, I did that for about a year and then qu- quickly said, well, I don't think I want to stay at a public accounting firm. So I left and started doing consulting work on my own and basically did that from 2006 till I moved to Seattle in 2007. My wife and I had been married for about a year. We were in Seattle and I joined a firm called the Mosaic Company and I was their controller and eventually became their CFO. And we grew rapidly during my time there. And it was a great experience. It was like probably the best, best management team I'd ever worked with. Great people. Loved the founder and CEO. How'd y'all end up in Seattle? How'd we you end just, up? You just segued into, yeah, and I just moved to Seattle. Yeah, but- we moved to Seattle. We, we want, after we got married in Arizona, I met my wife in Arizona. She's from Vermont. And, and after we got married, we spent a year in Arizona, and we were really thinking and praying about where to move to next and where to kind of spend our life together. You know, we, we, and I, I always knew I didn't want to spend my whole life in Arizona. I'd, I already spent most of my, all my upbringing in there. And oh, I knew there the was, irony. Yeah, there was a world to see. Exactly. Oh, the irony. Oh, the, I had yeah. a world to see. There's a world to see. And so, so, so you uh, go up to the top left. Right? Yep. The top to the left. Top, yeah, we spent four and a half years there. And I built my, kind of my my solid accounting career, I would say, in that four and a half, five years where I was able to get to the CFO level pretty rapidly mm-hmm. and with a growing company and get thrown a lot of challenging uh, things. And it was awesome. It was really great. And then 2011, we moved to Vermont because we started having kids. We want to be near some family. I didn't want to go back to Arizona yet. Top right. Top right of the country. <laughs> I wanted to go even more left. <laughs> right? So it's like Arizona, South more left left, center, yeah. and I went even more left. I had to experience it. So yeah. went to Vermont. And so that's where we've been for the past nine and a half years. And then recently made our way to Arizona. Meaning made you right now. This was supposed to just be temporary though, right? We're, we're, we're trying to see if we can make this a permanent, permanent move. So, so you go back to your foundation, the hero's journey. That's yeah. like that's some Joseph Campbell shit. The hero's yeah. journey. He ends up he ends up back home and conquers. Exactly. Gladiator. Or I don't know if Gladiator is the story of Michael Lee, not the other heroes. That's beautiful. Okay. So <laughs> how did you decide? So you were working at the firm in Seattle. How did you decide to start your own accounting? Oh yeah. Firm? When did that even happen? Did we just skip all of that and end with the journey? Let the man <laughs> speak. Right Jesus. End? Let's see. Yeah, what happened? We moved to see we moved from Seattle to Vermont and I was still, I was still CFOing for that firm in Seattle, so I would, I would trick. So take a firm? Tricks. Were you at an accounting firm? No, no, no. This is called the Mosaic Company. They were, they were in, they were in energy consulting, training. Okay. Ut- big utilities were their clients. I was but, just their CFO. Right? Yeah, but you're just, learning business. I mean, you're seeing. Oh yeah, so. I learned everything. I got insight yeah. to everything. It was, it was amazing experience. And and so when I moved to Vermont, I still stayed their CFO for a couple of years, and I would travel back to Seattle once a month and. But I started building my network in Vermont, so I started consulting on my own, and eventually when I left the Mosaic Company, I had a big enough network to build my own little consulting practice. And during that time, which is you know common probably for most small businesses, but in Vermont especially, I would go into companies and try to do CFO work, and 
the books need to be taken care of first, right? You need to have solid bookkeeping, solid records in order to do your CFO work. I found myself oftentimes being a very expensive bookkeeper for a few months getting records put together and straight so I could do my analytics work and CFO work. So after a couple of years, I realized, wow, I think I could solve this whole bookkeeping issue with my own team. So I started hiring my own bookkeepers. I launched Reconciled the fall of 2015. And five and a half years later, I've got 50 employees. So that's that's the story of Reconciled. Not a lot of... Yeah. That is yeah. like the ideal time to start a firm because that's what everything was there. Ackerman, would you say 15? I think there's always a good time to start a firm. I'm saying for the modern, <laughs> everything was yeah. there in 15. You had the business acumen to not start an, a, a traditional accounting firm. You started a business. Right. And yeah, at the time, you know, there were enough cloud-based accounting products out. Right. That that's what I mean. Enough. That's what I was trying to say. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That, and there was enough growth happening on all the platforms that you said, okay, it's good enough. It's not as good as desktop software yet, but it's good enough. Yeah, QuickBooks and, Online and at that so point was good yes. enough. It wasn't what it was when it first came. When it first came out right. in the early 2000s, it was shit. terrible. It was terrible. garbage. Yeah. But by 15, you had other oh, yeah. people surrounding it. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're coming at this from a business perspective instead of from I'm an accountant. I'm going to do people's work and then grow into owning a firm. You're coming at it as, I'm going to hire this person to do this. I mean, right, tell us. Right. Tell us what you did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's basically what it is. And I really was, at first, in the beginning, I was trying to solve, hey, how do I get out of bookkeeping work so I can do real CFO work? Oh, I need to have my own bookkeeping team. But then the demand for kind of the full service of cloud services started to grow. And, you know, I had a literally, I put together a brand, reconciled it with my co-founder, Bonnie, who's who's no longer involved with the business, but I put together just a brand. Pun intended, reconciled it. Oh, rec- I thought she said I came up with a brand and we reconciled it. Like both of us ca- came together and we decided this is the right brand. This yeah, is right. yeah, that was the brand. Reconciled it. What I didn't expect that a ninety-nine dollar website and logo would start growing very rapidly, and so, and then the fall of eighteen is when we rebranded. We took it out of the picture and just called it reconciled. Well, yes. tell me, tell me then in 16 and 17, did it, did it get out of control at any point, the growth and the business? Did you ever get to the point where it was, you know, running you or 16 and 17 were definitely hustle, heavy hustle years, right? Cause you're just, you're in your first couple of years of business. You don't know if this is going to be a long-term thing still and a going concern. So, and I was doing everything. I was CF doing CFO work. I was hiring people, finding finding team members. I was sales. managing sales, everything, right? And I had to define our tech stack, define what systems we would eventually standardize on. I remember going to my first QuickBooks Connect. I didn't even know there was a community of people out there. I had no idea. I was literally exposed to kind of, the, I think, the second QuickBooks Connect in 15 or 16 and realized, oh, wow, this is a bigger community than I it's realized. It's like the first time seeing in color. Yes, it's the first time seeing in color, right? So so I realized quickly, but what I also learned, because I remember the first QuickBooks Connect that I went to, half the conference was about how the internet was safe. And I realized- <laughs> They had to tell everybody how the internet yeah, was safe? <laughs> yeah, because the accounting profession was so, oh, still right, so yeah. new to 
could do QuickBooks they online. They still are, though. They still, they still are. are. That's it what I'm saying. It's time. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. If you think about it, the minority of accounting firms are still on are online, are on cloud-based tools. It, the majority are still on desktop-based tools. Wow. So, remember, so think about 2015, right, when there was only a couple million people on cloud-based accounting platforms. There wasn't like 5, 10, 20 million people on it. So they were still convincing accountants it's safe to use the internet. And I remember sitting there in the audience going, this is going to be a cakewalk. <laughs> That's what I remember thinking. If the competition needs to be convinced the internet's safe. Yeah, but you know what that confidence does, though? It's That's a solid driver to continue yeah. to see, okay, now I can scale up my business like a, like to whatever height I want it to. Do you think that's a turning point though? Like seeing in color the first time, was that something that made you see a big picture, like a bigger, bigger picture? Huge turning point. They they were doing this thing called the firm of the future that they launched, Mm -hmm. this award that they launched. So they did that every year at QuickBooks Connect. And that's a big deal because a lot of fucking people are QuickBooks. There were probably 3000 people Oh, at that. Wow. Okay, yeah. and that was an early QuickBooks Connect. The last QuickBooks Connect I went to in person was 7,000. It's one of the biggest events in San Jose. One and, of this the is, biggest. and this is of the minority of accountants that are coming. Yes. When I say, right, you know, like most yeah. accountants don't Not even. Not ethnic minority. Yeah. I knew we were on the right track when in the next year, my second QuickBooks Connect in 2016, we were a semifinalist for the firm of the future. So in our second year of business, we were already a semi-famous firm of the future. So we were like, okay, this was this, we're obviously on the right track. And then in 18, we were the US firm of the future for for Intuit. So it was a pretty quick growth and rise. And so a caricature of you caricature of you then would have a very big head, right? At that <laughs> point. Yeah. I do have a big head. I do uh, naturally head. with the hair too, you make it even look bigger too. So I've had a lot of fun. I've I've learned a ton. We're still in 2016. You're in Vermont. You're growing this firm. How many people you got? 2000. So by the end of 16, I probably have like, you know, eight people. And you're still wearing a lot of hats. Yeah, still wearing a lot of hats. But 2017, I started layering in my leadership team. Okay. Because I, I knew it was going to go somewhere. It's impressive, you know, to be building a management team and, and all of that in your, like, your third year. Yeah. And you're all cloud, though. Were you – did you have an office at that point? Well, I went to an office myself because I, I don't like working from home. So I went to an office, but – and we had a little bit of space for people who wanted to come in. Everyone basically worked remotely in some form or fashion, and I had a small office. And at the time, I started hiring just in Burlington area and then went Vermont statewide, and then started, as each year went by, I started adding additional states that I would hire from. And now we're up to, I think, about 10 states that we hire from. Wow, okay. So you decide ahead of time, or do you find the talent and then say, are we going to add this state? And most of the time, we, hi- we decide ahead of time which state we're going into. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, so then I guess tell us, you know, so you were always sort of that hybrid remote, or no hybrid, you were just, you went into office yourself. You know, you're not ever meeting with clients in person, per se, or were you? If they were in Burlington, they want to come meet me, they could. But otherwise, yeah. that wasn't the structure. That wasn't set up to meet with clients in person. No. I guess tell us a little bit more about what you guys offer. Let's hear what Reconciled <laughs> does. Wherever you'd like to go. <laughs> Wherever Ackerman likes to go. He's been very quiet. You've been talking a lot. <laughs> Let's go. Let's hear it. Now this is the pitch. Do you need your taxes done? 
do you need so reconciled is like you know reconciled provides online accounting and bookkeeping services to to small businesses and startups throughout the US full back office bookkeeping payroll financial statements ARAP management mostly on QuickBooks online someone zero and sage intact as well and we also provide probably 25 30% of our services are at the controller and CFO level so we do have CFO advisors and controllers that do higher level accounting work but our bread and butter is is back office bookkeeping for startups and entrepreneurs and small businesses when you're getting a new client where are they in on their stage of development do they have any bookkeeping are they just like starting out i would say the bread and butter customer is doing a million to 2 million a year in revenue they got a dozen employees and they've got small amount of growth happening we're replacing some kind of solution whether it's the owner was doing it the reception was doing it or a bookkeeper was coming by and working at their office and you know the bookkeeper gets pregnant or takes a job or or gets sick or quits or whatever so that's that's like the different the difference you know there's a variety of reasons why people come to us startups that are pre-revenue venture funded right or they've got a small amount of capital they've got nothing set up and so we help them set up we got clients that are at 40 50 million a year in revenue and they've got a full they've got a full bookkeeping staff that we're replacing literally so let me ask you how do you price your services how do we price them so yeah. we have a yeah we have a whole sales team that value prices our customers on a fixed monthly fee and so it depends on a number of so you do factors. so you do fixed monthly fees yep so you yep. don't charge by the hour right, so tell us how you it. so tell us the factors of how you do a price the factors are a mix of services, you know, services signed up for, complexity of services, transaction volume, and then time, time saved or perception of time valued, right? That we're going to give back to the owner or to whoever we're replacing. And so we have that mix that contributes into the value of the price. And then my sales team puts together a price and sends it over. We don't have like a, a spreadsheet formula algorithm. We could be providing, let's say, $1,000 a month to, to a customer for the same level of service that we're charging somebody else $2,000 a month, right? So value pricing means right. the full value to the customer. So it's going to be different for each customer. It's fixed pricing means you have a transparent fixed price that's literally tied to something, and that's not, that's not how we price. We price it to value. So before I bring Scott back on, one more question. Do you give them one price or do you give them three different, do you give them more than one option? We give them generally one price. Generally one price, yeah. And what's your conversion rate? I actually don't know that, that answer because I have a sales team that handles all that. I think generally you want your conversion rate to be 30% or less. You want to close 30% or less of your deals. That means you're pricing high enough for the sales proposals that you're sending out. So I don't, I don't manage that piece of the business, but it's low enough to where we're, we're leaving enough. We have enough people saying no to us. Yeah. We do fits pricing too. And I think we convert way too high of a, of a percentage. I love that you value price. What I'm fascinated by is you've got a team doing it. Tell me about your sales team. Like how did you hire them? What was what's their background? Yeah. So I, I, I think obviously every role in the company I had done first, mm -hmm. 
right? And so you want to... That's a core belief of mine, too. Like, you should be able to know how to do everything. Yeah, you Not know of it. it or you did yeah. it. Yeah, and I was a salesperson for the company up until spring of 2018. So, so the first three years of the business. So then I told my network on LinkedIn I was looking for somebody to take over sales because I had created this, what I would call a predictable sales process, right? If you've read the book, Predictable Revenue, then- I have not, who wrote that? I actually can't recall the, the author. I wouldn't but write it down. Yeah, you can use this thing called Google. It's like amazing. So Predictable Revenue tell, you know, talks to you about creating a predictable sales process where you can predict based on your sales process, how much revenue you are going to have and bring in every single month for the future. So I, I basically put together what I didn't know at the time was a predictable revenue model. And it was a recurring revenue model, predictable. And it was all mostly based on email marketing. And, which uh, you still do. Which we still do. Yeah. And, and then some you know, inbound funnels through our website and through word of mouth. But most of it on email marketing. And I had stumbled upon email marketing like our second year in business and realized most accounting firms aren't emailing. They're not doing email marketing at the time. They weren't definitely. I think I could figure this out because software companies have figured it out and Viagra has figured it out. So why haven't, why can't I figure it out? We could, accounting firms can figure it out. So there we go. We did, yeah, we did email marketing and it worked surprisingly, right? I'm very surprised and, that it worked. Yeah, I still am surprised. And I think it's because it works because if you can, there's enough people is there enough business owners out there at any given time who absolutely need accounting and they know they need it at that moment? So if you catch them on the email, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're, you're capturing the low-hanging fruit of the small business market. Right? And they could end up being very good clients. Oh, we've got some very amazing clients yeah. because of it, very high-paying ones because of it. And you get tire kickers as well, and you get customers that are— How do are, you get the email lists, though, when you do email marketing? We use a partner called Growbots okay. um, for our email marketing, where the email list is built into the software. Okay. Um, so we don't have some people get their list from a Zoom info or from other places, and then they load it into a CRM or into an email campaign system. We, I wanted to save my time, right? I'm not about waste. I'm trying to be efficient. Sure. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about combining them together, so I don't have to worry about downloading and uploading or anything like that. You just go into the system, tell the system who your targets are in it, it does the rest, it's magic. So I wanted to find somebody who could take over the sales process and got introduced to somebody in, in Burlington that was looking for a role. He had recently closed his business and wanted to kind of be back in, in the industry working for a company. And so mm -hmm. he's my current VP of revenue operations. He started out as a salesperson, took over my sales process, made it even better, and he's been able to do double per year what I was able to do on my own. So if we were looking at your accountability chart, you would be at the top of the sales and marketing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's I, got I think... now. He's got a team of uh, four people that report to him now. So. so you've got how many? Five in your sales department. Yep, we got a person that leads marketing, person that leads account management, and then two salespeople that report to him. It's a hard thing to do if you want to scale up as fast as you did. You have to be able to do sales and. It's very hard for a lot of accountants. They're a lot of inside their shell. They feel like they're pushing things on people. They're the ones pushing themselves over in the most in most cases. You know, accountants by nature are not na not naturally wanting to be salespeople. They don't have that mind. But accounting traditionally and continues to be a 
a traditional word of mouth networking kind of sales process for most people. And if you've been in an area for a while or in a town, most of your sales and word of mouth occurs in the vicinity of your area, your mm -hmm. greater metro or state. And most accounts tend to not venture out of that or apply, you know, more modern marketing and sales techniques to their firm. And that's what that, but that's, but that's the clientele that they're attracting to, you know, yeah, that, yeah, you're tracking, if, yeah, you're tracking your local community business a lot of the time mm -hmm. in the traditional process. And I was applying, um, I, all I knew was more modern sales and marketing processes. So I said, well, if software companies have figured this out, we can do this with accounting firms. Why not? And you've said that a lot. And I like that because, because I think um, a really well-run accounting firm these days is run very similar to a software firm. I don't know, Ackerman, if you agree with that. I think there's some key differences. I think where, uh, I, I think where software companies like go wrong, because software companies are trying to scale massively, you know, and accounting like the relationship with your accountant is very important, and you have to focus on that. I think now, obviously, a lot of people don't feel that way, but I think you're you're, you're knowing this person, like your client is someone that you're becoming intimately, you know, everything about them to service them correctly. And if you try to make it so that you're, they have different people all the time, like you're not providing them the best service and they probably aren't. Well, are we, are we talking about tax or accounting though? Cause in, in, if he's doing bookkeeping, are, do you have, I mean, I guess you do have Bookkeeping is different, but you yeah. still have to know the client. We're not at the stage. I think eventually we'll get to a stage where you can, the technology like can do a lot more, but Asian intelligence, the bookkeeping stuff is not, it's not robust enough to actually really do hundred percent of the work yet. You still have to have the person doing some of the stuff. Now you can use the technology and do a lot of it, but you still have to know the client where certain things go. Would you agree yeah. with that? Well, the solutions he's providing, I think, also integrates a lot of other things, too. I mean, there's no way that you're going to have a big client on intact and just be doing, you know, coding checks and stuff and coding transactions. Yeah, and, doing and, and obviously that. there's a lot of technology. So how do you set up, like, who's working on a client? Like, what's your structure? Do you have a bookkeeper and then a controller? Or, or like, how many clients can one person deal with? I think that changes as you continue to grow, right? We're we're at almost 50 for the people. audience, fifty people total, or fifty people in operations. We have forty nine employees total okay. at Reconciled, majority of which are in operations, mm -hmm. accounting services. So, and so I think it's going to be. It looks different now than it was last year when we were at twenty five, and a little look different next year. You know, at the end of this year when we're at over a hundred. When I so, met you, it was not, I think you were at, at not even 20. Um, yeah. But how do you, how do you decide when to hire somebody? Or are you just always hiring because you're always getting clients? Yeah. Yes. No, <laughs> you have a legit way of, of figuring this out. We have our best. We, are pl we plan, right? Based on what sales, sales well, ops and HR all connect. And we have our plan of here's the plan. Here's what sales expects to close over the next three to six months. Here's what operations had. Do they have capacity to take that on? If not, we need to start hiring. And then HR needs, you know, has to have a hiring plan based on those needs. I think ops would always like to have more bench capacity than they have. And HR would always like to have more time to recruit than they do. Right. Mm -hmm. And then 
sales would always like ops to take on more work. If I'm anything, I lean on. When you say ops to take on more work, what do you mean by that? Meaning like organization, no matter if it's professional services or if it's a software company or if it's cleaning toilets, it doesn't really New matter. New opportunities. In, in any organization, if you're growing this fast, you never feel like you have enough resources in every department. Every department never feels like it. Everyone has a request for more bodies to be put in their department. There's got to be a solution for that too. You know, it can't always be chasing something, right? You'd think you'd think that people would recognize you do have capacity, but the human condition always finds reason. Fill in the extra gap. Yes, I always tell people this. If you tell somebody they have a 40-hour week job, they will make whatever responsibility you give them 40 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. At the, at the, because you told them they have a 40-hour week job. So whatever you give them, they will they will fill it. They'll make sure that it's they forty sure hours a week. Forty hours mm-hmm. a week, even yeah. if it but only. But you takes can give them more work. You can give them you more work, and they will still feet. be effective right. and do it just as effective right. as giving right. them little. It's a matter of how much, yeah. Right. But it's the right person and the right motivation. I think yeah. Going... And the question is, is you know, how you know that magic line of what is truly forty hours or full time amount of work? What is truly that versus what is somebody accustomed to? And has made yeah. the, that feeling of you never know that number is hard to get to when you're growing fast because work is always coming in. New work is. But always you're also evolving too. When you said the sales team is always throwing new things or want different opportunities, new services, shit like that, or just new, new clients. clients. Okay, clients. okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're always adding new clients every single month. And so sales is always wanting is always. Yeah, I always find it more. crazy when somebody right. asks, "Are you taking on new clients?" Like, yeah, of course we are. Like, I I don't I, I guess firms don't take on new clients. There are firms that can't. There are firms that can't or really don't have the capacity to. Ackerman, have you been in that position? I kind of feel like Michael is, where it's like we're always it seems like we're always at full capacity, but we're always growing. Wow. Yes. <laughs> yes. And uh, I think. Yeah. But you've got a plan. I mean, you've really developed a plan where you have, you know, people hiring. You you kind of know what the capacity is going to look at. But I'm interested, like, do you have a goal for revenue per operations person? How do you measure, like, how much work someone should do now? That's a great question. How do you how do you figure out what a capacity is for somebody? Is it a revenue goal? How do you do it? Okay, yeah. So... Revenue is one metric you ha- you can use, right? And my my assumption is your your goal should be get uh, revenue per employee per month to be at ten thousand dollars. Start there, start at ten thousand. That's one hundred twenty thousand a year. Yes, correct. Because you know if if you're if you're paying your bookkeeper forty to fifty thousand, fully loaded, and all that, all those things, depending on what part of the country they are in, then you're getting two and a half to three times their compensation and that's your goal as in any professional services firm right so you want to get two and a half to three times depending on you know the type of professional services so start at ten thousand dollars a month some people can get can get there and some people will complain all the way there literally at five thousand they'll complain at six thousand they'll complain at seven they'll complain they get to twelve you gotta you 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 want to get them to a place where it's like where are they really full Right, and I've had com- I've had accountants and bookkeepers complain at two thousand a month. I've had to complain at four thousand that they're overworked, six thousand, eight thousand. You finally need to get them to a place where they're actually 
you know, they're actually efficient. So and they're actually when they cold. complain, are they, is it because the clients aren't priced right or is it because they're yeah, just. Yeah, that was, yeah. You could, that's, that's why revenue per employee is not the only metric you can use, right? You have yeah, to price, also, yeah. you have to look at price. You have to look at the pricing of the client mix. You got to look at the quantity of the clients they have. And then you also have to look at, well, how much time is it, is it taking? Do you for rank them to your do clients? I thought that was a very poignant thing to say when yes. you're pricing is how much time am I saving you? I could give a shit about how much time my team is spending. You convinced me not to even fuck with time. And so I feel like you both have the same mantra on that. You mentioned time in there, and I don't want people to think that you're talking about time in a way that, and, and also this whole 40 hour a week thing. Yeah, huh. I mean, well, okay, you did just mention how long is it taking him to do his work? So then are you measuring that? Yeah, of course we're measuring that. I thought so we're not measuring that keeping track per hour of what they're doing yeah of course they are well and here's the one one of primary reason they are. of course we don't do that I don't here's do one, no, so not everybody assumes that here's all right? one primary reason is all of our bookkeepers so when you start with a company they all qualify for overtime so we have to track time just for that reason they all we pay overtime for all of our bookkeepers once so you're they get per hour for them Yes, per hour. Once they get to senior, because we tell people we do not want you to, we don't want you to work over forty hours if you don't have to, if you don't want to. Right. And if you want to, we'll pay you overtime, right? We'll make that fair. And it's a rule in Vermont that we have to, anyways. So we have everybody across the country. Well, it's to. like that. I'm pretty sure it's like that everywhere. You have to be over a wage threshold. Yeah, exactly. So then, if you're once you get to senior level, which which you get to, you know, usually within six months at the earliest, depending on how long you've been there, then we give you a salary. Because you're doing a lot more complex things, you're making actual decisions on your own for the, you know, on behalf of the client, and you're the account managers on these clients at the senior level. So we have three levels: senior, what we call CAS two client, you know, cloud accounting services two, and cloud CAS accounting two. services CAS one. CAS one. CAS one is what everybody comes in at generally, and then you can move your way up to senior very fast if you have experience already and everything. So. Seniors are the account managers. They are basically the point of contact for all the clients. How many people do they usually have under them? Well, they don't have people reporting to them. So okay. they have, depending on the clients, they have CAS1 and CAS2s doing the transactional work on those clients. And then they're generally covering review month end and client communication. Okay. Do you have your team grouped in groups of clients or... Are they in teams or are they all working in just independently? Seniors, seniors have clients assigned to them and then cast two and cast ones are doing transaction work on any, any clients they can. Okay. Okay. So they're, they're across the board on any client. So it is pretty horizontal in that way where the seniors are running their book of business and though that's who you're measuring or are you measuring the one? We measure everybody. We measure everybody. Right. So how are you breaking up that work? Is that work broken out into some kind of fairly allocated way? Um, right, right. Higher, higher paying, more complex clients have more time on the seniors' plate, less time on the cast one, cast two's Are plate. the seniors tracking their time too? Everyone's tracking their time. Really? Me, why? say that for the fifth time. I know, I know, but Everyone's why? Tracking why? We're measuring, we're measuring that for They're on reasons. salary. They're, yeah. not, they're never going to be paid overtime. Why are you tracking their time? There's a variety of reasons. Sales gets the pricing wrong. Uh-huh, uh-huh. There's one reason, right? Uh-huh. That's one reason. Sales gets yep. the pricing wrong. You can see, and, and, and people who- How about forecasting? Like planning there's a variety of reasons. ahead. There's, yeah. there's a variety of reasons, right? There's, there's Knowing their capacity. Of, right. 
And also, you could see if is somebody is somebody consistently working sixty hours a week. We don't, you don't want that for them. No, no, no. Especially if the amount of work that they're getting done at sixty hours is the same as somebody else's twenty hours. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Especially if they're yes. both account managers, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. Right. And then because, how do you how do you measure if somebody says I'm overwhelmed I'm working a ton of hours well what's a ton is yeah. twenty a ton to you or sixty a ton to you is it a mental thing do you feel producing, mentally yeah twenty hours mentally is hard sixty hours could be the same mentally hard how do you tell how do you tell that otherwise it's all subjective to to the to what a person's so saying would, but then at what context that person that's complaining about the hours you should already see and know that they're really only doing $5,000 worth of work a month, right? Or whatever it is, they're working a lot because they're not good. Why do you need to know time for that? If you're measuring based on their recurring revenue for the month, Because recurring revenue is not time? the only, because recurring revenue cannot be the only metric you run operations on. I don't know, I'm asking you, it, that's not I just, an answer. I, I just, yeah, it is an answer. It is, it is that answer. <laughs> why is it not, but why? Because well, you could have given them, you could have given them five thousand dollars a month of crappy mispriced clients, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? You could get somebody else twenty thousand dollars a month of really perfectly priced, value priced clients. Why not check the time on that once and then not again? Why not have some kind of average? Okay, this is because you're long bringing on clients all can't, the time. But don't yeah, you inherently true. know if someone's mispriced? Like, do you need the time to know if they're mispriced? No, no. You, I think you do need. I did. I think time is one metric, but you know this. There are clients that are just, pe you know, pe pitas. Pitas. Okay. Right? Yes. Yes. Right. But so it has nothing. What's it has a pita? Nothing to do with what's time, a pita? Hold on. Pain, you know? pain in the ass. Pain in yeah. the ass. Okay. Yeah. Right. They're a pita, and it's not a time issue. It's a mental issue. Mm -hmm. It's a mental yeah. stress issue. Mm -hmm. So time's not going to tell you everything. Right. So, so how do you? So if you have one of those, how, what do you do with that client? Like, how, who's monitoring these things? Are you repricing? What? How are you? You could be repricing. You do check-ins regularly with the ops team, right? You have check layers of check-ins, and you mm -hmm. say, "Hey, well, where, where's who, the stress?" Who's checking it? Who's checking in? With whom? I mean, you want their names? We have three layers of on our operations team. Then we have our managers over the seniors, and then we have our literal director of operations. Mm -hmm. So the layers of check-ins go down based on who you're reporting so let's to. Say, so let's say your bottom person says, this is taking too much time. I know this is priced wrong. What, what do you do with that client? The ops team lets sales know, hey, it's been three months or six months. I think we've, we need to change or update the pricing. Services are misaligned. Transaction volumes misaligned. Whatever it is. And sales goes and has a conversation. Actually, I think, yeah, I think we have a pretty basic system for that, too, similar to yours, where it's just tagging sales, saying, yeah. here's this opportunity, here's this, or this is, but we're not measuring time, and they're still doing that. So how often, when you go back to the client, when the sales team go back, do they just say, how, much, how many of them leave, or how many of them just accept the price? Do you know? Well, it's, a, it's pretty yeah. high. They accept it's pretty high, but we don't care. I mean, it they, doesn't they matter because you're saying if you want to keep working with well, us, no, I this think is it's interesting, it though, because people I think a big thing about accountants is they're afraid to tell their clients that they're underpriced. And most of the time, the clients don't care. They want the service. Right. And they're willing to pay that. Difference. I think it's I think it's I think it's a matter of accountants. Accountants are undervalued and accountants generally undervalue themselves. Yeah. 
So yeah. that's 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 what yeah. it is. Is, is most we, accounts. Yeah, most accounts. Are, and I like how and, you've taken that kind of uh, to the sales team. Like they're not responsible for that. They do the work. Yep. So there's no like emotional attachment yep. with the client. Right. Like that's the sales team does that. Right. 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 And they can be disconnected from it. They don't have to be the bad guys at any point. You know, it's just sales team and, and the sales team's not the bad guy either because I, i'm with you 100 percent on this but i think what ackerman is taking the angle of let's let's make this a teaching well because moment. most accounting firms this is don't a teaching have a moment that you're right though they and don't it, have a sales team like it's a partner doing the the sales and you haven't set it up the or way lack you thereof, set it yeah. up. and i right. think the way you set it up is you're set up for success that way <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah, see. We'll, yeah, maybe we'll it, see. <laughs> it could all just go crumbling one day, you know. Yeah. The, all of a sudden, bookkeeping just goes away, or QuickBooks dies. So, well, that I, to... that's a good question. What about? Are you worried about that? Worried no, about... I'm not worried about it. At why? All. And why are you not worried about it? About like bookkeeping going away? Well, uh, uh, automation. How? Because Scott thinks every Scott Scott thinks we're just not going to have a job. I don't think that. I don't believe that. I think we'll still be standing if we position ourselves right when everything's automated. But it's not about that. I think that you're providing a level of service that's beyond the automation. There is stuff that's already automated. You may lose your C ones, your CAS ones at some point. You know, if you stick with this long not, enough. Not yeah, not so, in my lifetime. That, well, like in your lifetime, you're good. Really? So your yeah, cast ones are always going to have some. They'll always be cast ones. They'll always be bookkeepers. It, and here's why. Unless the banks are required to do electronic, transparent data, unless there is a literal overhaul of the banking system in the IRS, a literal overhaul, which will take 25 yeah, to 50. There is no connection. Yeah. Well, in our country, at least. Other countries have figured this out, and that's why they have less banks and more electronic transactions than us i mean we right. literally we so have not you're saying your lifetime are united right. in the united states <laughs> in your lifetime well that's where we live scott this i is know we live that. this I is what we serve that's, a lot of this stuff will and can be automated but where you know there's going to be pressures above us you know and people above us that are making sure that it's not oh yeah because i mean how many checks are still written manual checks Jesus. like when is cash going to become illegal? I don't see that happening Never. for a long time. Yeah. But there are other countries that have figured that out. They've said basically manual check writing is gone. It's basically 1% of the economy is on manual check writing. That's different here. Cash, literal physical cash is gone from a lot of economies that have gone electronic. So you've got situations here where I can't just send Jason or you money with a code right now. Like that's some economies, literally you have a code, you give it to me, it's public, and I could send you money on it. I could literally send you money. I can't yeah. do that in the US. I have to ask you for wire information. No, I if have you have an iPhone, Venmo you can do it in the US. Yeah, if you have an idea, you and your number is your no, phone but number. But you can't do yeah. that yeah. for businesses. You can't do a yeah. business to business. Actually, no, you can't, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I'm saying is but that, well, that's does the business have economies have in other countries. Well, I get no, I'm not even gonna go into that, but and you've got, I don't. I still don't agree with you. I don't agree with you. In your lifetime, economy. in your lifetime, I think that it will be automated. But you're no. going to have sold your business by then. And you're not going to be worried about it. That that's what no. I think. I totally think it's going to be automated because everybody that's holding a lot of this shit down, they're going to die. They're old. Yeah. No. I I, I doubt. I doubt it gets overhauled. We get, we've had a lot of change that was forced on us this year, but people started opening their eyes about a lot of stuff. Oh, I, no, I I'm with Michael. I just don't. I, 
we're just so far behind. And I maybe, don't maybe maybe I'm being unrealistic Maybe I'm unrealistic or delusional. Well, you've just but I don't skipped. Think so. I mean, I eventually so. it'll happen. But see, you've just skipped a bunch of steps, and we're like, we're I, still on step two. Every, right. do, do you realize how many? Steps <laughs> and, and we got to get to step twenty. Do you realize how yeah. many steps were skipped? You can see step twenty. You can see step twenty now, and but you have to realize that you still have to get to those steps, and you haven't. We haven't gotten there. We there. can't even get medicine into people's arms fast enough. You think we're going to yeah. change change the digital banking system? <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on the steps, but I do believe that, that things change very fast sometimes. And that's happened with a lot of things. So something is going to come that just has sweeping change that has more power than it. Like, look at how much power Amazon has. If Amazon decides to say, fuck everybody, we're going to have a banking system. We're going to run all of this shit. They can at some point. They can't, though, because it's regulated some, by the government. Yeah, I'm sure it is. And I'm sure they're still going to have some way of, you know, of all of them connecting right. and it's all done. And I, I'm not I'm not even being serious right now. I'm saying that at a certain point that the government won't be able to hold it back. There's going to be too anything's much. Anything's possible, but I think a lot of cloud firms have just skipped those steps. They think, oh, bookkeeping's gone. I don't have to worry about bookkeeping anymore. Yeah. And you have to worry about bookkeeping because bookkeeping, most people don't do it right. That's right. why you need a reconciled. <laughs> people are still paying for it. A lot of people yeah. are still paying. And we're a blip. We're nothing. I mean, we could get to a $100 million firm. It doesn't matter. It's, there's yeah. billions and billions and billions of dollars of bookkeeping revenue yeah. possible. Yeah, and I guess. So, it's like, the same thing. I'm with you. I'm with you. It's the same thing with the tax return. People have just given right. up on tax returns. Yeah. And the tax return is not automated. Yeah, TurboTax can do it all, but it still takes human input. And humans aren't trained in tax. Right. So they mess it up a lot. Right. <laughs> and I, I don't understand why. At a certain level, though, there's a certain level of tax returns that people should not be hiring out. They should just be yep. going on turbo. Well, that's tax. the same thing with bookkeeping. If you have like a yeah. $5,000 business, you don't need a yep. bookkeeper. Yeah. So all of this is in context, too. You know, that's... like, so there's a little bit of context here. If you're going with very low hanging fruit, low margin work, and you're a firm like that, or you're an old lady. But I don't think that's what we're talking about. No, we're not, but <laughs> all right. This is the um, Joe Rogan podcast. We're an hour two now. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is how we're just getting going, Michael. All right. Okay. I, I've got to, So, why did you pick QuickBooks over Zero in 2015? They were better. No, actually, I just knew I knew the product. Did I knew you the know, product. You didn't know Zero. Michael, tell people like, if they want to find you on the internet. On Instagram, on TikTok, where can we find you? <laughs> Just search Michael L Y Mike. His last name is L Y. It's spelled not L E L Y. Michael Lee. Just search on any of the social media platforms. I'm I'm going to be on there. If you start yeah. typing it in, genius comes in. Like Google, right. all of those. yeah, right. It's just Michael Lee right. genius. And, uh, Look up I'm... Michael Lee AI. You'll find you'll find me. <laughs> yes. This Michael, this, this has been awesome. Alan Iverson. Thank you. Alan. We will have you back. Yeah. You just got your story started. We're gonna we're gonna see this journey out. We're gonna we're gonna see this through. Awesome. No, I really appreciate you coming on. I I, I don't. I, yeah, fuck this conversation. Not just letting him stand on his pedestal and tell us all of his achievements. But I'm sure too. We're all we all are. Like, you know, compared to NBA. If I was tall, I wouldn't be in accounting. Th- going on my all right. Well, we'll re-record this next week, guys. Talk to you next week. <laughs> all right, Michael. Yeah.